Our reading is Genesis chapter 22 from 1 to 19. Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abram got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abram replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught in it by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord came to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make you and your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through their offspring, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. Abram stayed in Beersheba. All right. So, great passage this morning. Uh, It's all about trial and testing. And I actually set myself a trial uh, for this sermon today, which I need to tell you about now. So I said to the youth kids on Friday night, a bit of fun, you know, get everyone excited about youth and all that sort of stuff, that if they got together, they could come up with one word that I have to use in the sermon. Okay? And just to let you know how savage our youth are, I want Phoebe and Tian, why don't you guys just come up real quick here for us. This is the word that they came up with that I'm meant to use in the sermon today. Yeah, I'll try and read it for you. This does not count. This is not the use of the word, just so you know. Okay. Numa... Numo nultramicos microscopic silica volcano coniosis. Just like that. So you guys have a seat. Now, I've never seen that word before. 
So this will be a trial to figure out how to actually uh, put that into the sermon today. But let's see how we go. Okay. Now, trials are good. Right? That's what we're going to see here today. This passage is all about trial and testing. If they mature us, and we'll see how that goes with me today. But let's jump into this passage, and we'll see what we can learn about trials. So it says here, right at the very start, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Sometime later refers to the events that Abraham has gone through with a king by the name of Abimelech. But even before that, it was a reference to the birth of the long-awaited son for Abraham, Isaac. Sorry, you can put it on the ground, girls. You don't know how to do this time. Now, this was a, a time for rejoicing. This was a moment 25 years in the making where Abraham had been given a promise by God and we've seen that God has been faithful. We've seen Abraham go through a journey himself, a roller coaster, sometimes doing well, sometimes showing faithfulness, oftentimes behaving in a way that we would say is deplorable and completely unacceptable. But as we've seen him receive this promise, we've, we've seen him rejoicing. And the truth is that for Abraham, he doesn't really mess up anywhere near the sort of level, or really at, at all, in the rest of his days here on earth, at least not what we're told about. The arrival of the promised one is a moment for him. But this is his greatest test and his greatest challenge. Now, when we hear the word test, I don't know about you, and especially when we can think about this idea of Abraham going to the mountain to take this test from God, you can, I think, start to pretty easily play around with the idea of what God is doing in this space. Like, is he just some sort of cosmic prankster? Like, oh, wait for it, with the angel of the Lord there, you know, this is going to be great. Or, or, or some sort of, you know, just, just, you know, clipboard out, ready to mark Abraham off and all that sort of stuff. And you can sort of, we, we, there's this tendency to take this glib approach towards it, but the truth is, this is really, really serious stuff. And the testing that we're talking about here, it, it's not a quiz, okay? It, it's... And it's not some sort of just arbitrary, you know, do I meet the standard sort of an idea. It's it's more the idea of being put to the test. It's the same word that gets used in Psalm 26, uh, where the psalmist cries out, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. It's this idea of being put to the test. Examine me. So it's got that idea of of observing, seeing where somebody is at, but it's not, do you meet... The, the, the standard, it's more like, what is the true state of your heart? That, that's what's going on here. Abraham is being tested in this sense. And so God replies when, sorry, Abraham replies when God calls out, here I am. And then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now it's interesting, again, it, it's, it is incredibly severe. It is shocking. There is no doubt about that. And yet there are some hints that God is not completely separating himself from Abraham in this moment. He says there that this is the son whom you love. Abraham knows, so God knows what he is asking of Abraham. He knows the significance of him as just being his son. This is the one whom you love. But he also knows that he is the one who I have promised to you. Now, for those of you that know your Bibles and been paying attention, you'll know that Abraham has another son, doesn't he? Ishmael. 
In fact, Ishmael, we've heard recently, is going to be blessed because he is Abraham's son. When God says here, you're one and only son, what he means is you're one and only son with Sarah, the one true child of the promise. God knows what he is asking of Abraham here. It is severe in the sense of what he is asking him to do, but he is not distant and removed from him. He knows Abraham's heart in this. It says, early in the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Amazingly, we told nothing of Abraham's mindset. We're simply told that he awakes and goes and does as God has asked. And it's a three-day journey. This is not an immediate, quick act of obedience. This is three days of walking towards the mountain, knowing what God has asked you to do. But Abraham goes forth to obey. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. Again, we're not told anything about anybody's internal state of mind. But we have this picture here of Isaac carrying the instruments of sacrifice up the hill. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. And Isaac asks an important question. It's the only time that he speaks during this entire passage. It's the only insight that we have into Isaac's mind in any way, shape or form. He says, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I think this would, this would have been an innocently asked question. Father, we seem to have everything that we need, but I know there's a fairly important ingredient that seems to be missing. From where will that come? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now this word provide, it's an interesting choice of a translation. Because... It's actually the word in Hebrew that typically gets translated as to see. In fact, this is the only place in all the scriptures that this gets translated as, as, as provide. There's one other that kind of have that idea in it, but, but this is the one where they choose to use provide here. And I know how they get there. It's kind of this idea of the Lord sees what you need and that sort of stuff. But I think this idea of God seeing what's happening that God is going to see to the lamb for the burnt offering, is an important one. And it's going to come back up in this passage. So the Lord is going to see to the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them go on together. The Lord is watching what's happening. He knows what's in Abraham's heart. He knows how much he loves about him. And he's going to see them on this journey and is going to see to the sacrifice that's required. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The way it's written, it just, it just builds up that tension, right? Little details, bits of information. They reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built an altar 
he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. He reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. Put yourself back in the, 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 the place where you, the first time that you heard this. Maybe this morning is the first time that you're hearing this. Maybe you're very familiar with the story, but try and remember the first time that you read it, not knowing how this story was going to end. We're, we're on the edge of our seat here, like, what is happening? On a reread, what starts to pop out is, I mean, what is going through Isaac's head at this point in time, right? What, what is Isaac thinking? Why is Isaac bound? Is that, is he going along with this? Was, was he struggling? We don't know. No, no, the, the text gives us no answers to these questions. That's not what this is about. What it's about is, is Abraham going to obey the Lord? And so here we have him, knife raised, ready to plunge it into his son and offer him up as a sacrifice to the Lord. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, Lord. <laughs> Just in case, I'm here, I'm here, yes? Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The, it's not a matter of has he passed the test, But rather, in undergoing this test, in going through the trial, his heart has been clearly revealed to the Lord. The testing has revealed what is in his heart here. And Abraham looks up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. It turns out that the word that he spoke to his son Isaac was more true than he could have known. Indeed, the Lord did see too the lamb that they would need for this sacrifice. Abraham went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. A substitute was provided. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. But like I said before, this is the word for seeing. We could just as well translate this, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will see. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be seen. Abraham uses the word to see. God saw me in that moment. And and again, it fits really well with that idea of testing, right? That he's been put to the test to see what's in his heart. The Lord says, I now know what's in your heart. It's through this that Abraham has been seen truly. His faith is now been seen in his outward works, in what he has done for the Lord, in offering this sacrifice to him. And so it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, third time he's used that phrase, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. He's restating what he's already promised 
to him. Previously, God has given these as unconditional blessings. He said to him, Abraham, I'm going to do this. And he's asked for nothing in Abraham return. And the truth is, he's gotten pretty much nothing from Abraham back, right? We've seen Abraham in all of his unfaithfulness. Abraham has done nothing to earn these promises. But now, as he's displayed his faith and his trust in God, God rephrases it now so that these promises are coming upon him because you have a baby. Now, this doesn't mean that he's earned it. It doesn't mean that this was a test that he had to pass in order to earn the promises of God. Rather, this was a trial that he went through so that his faith could mature and be on display and be shown. His obedience is his faith lived out. And so these blessings are pronounced upon him again. Now there's a lot here in this passage. It's very rich, but I've got, I've got three takeaways for us. And we're going to think about these in the light of everything that Jesus has done for us and what it means for us now. God tests his people. God calls his people to sacrifice And God sacrifices his children. God tests his people. It says right there in this very first line that Abraham is tested. That the Lord tests Abraham. But this is not a unique idea in scripture. We see again and again God testing his people, putting them to the test, putting them through a trial. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 8 to the nation of Israel. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. It's not a test of keeping the commands. It's a test of what's in their heart. I'll see if you keep the commands so I know what's in your heart. I will no longer drive out before any of them The nations Joshua left when he died. This is the book of Judges. The people have gone into the promised land and God has left some enemies in the land and he says he's done this to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. We see it in the New Testament. This idea of God putting his people on trial. We've looked at this verse a lot of times because it's so rich and good for us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God puts his people to the test to mature them, to complete them, to see what's really in their Hearts. This is the way that God grows us. We see it with Abraham. We see it with Israel. And get this, we even see it with Jesus. It's just the way that God works. Now I'll show you how it works with Jesus in a minute. But what's interesting is, again, this passage I think will be familiar to a lot of us now. I feel like we quote it a fair bit. It's a really good one. But there's a really good chance that James has this exact Abraham story in mind when he writes these words. Because in chapter 2 he says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's it's one thing to simply believe in God, to think that there is a God, to to know something of his existence. But that's that's not the faith that we're talking about here when we say you need to have faith in God. 
He goes and you fool, he goes on, you foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith with our deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor, ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Faith is meant to lead to obedience and specifically God puts us to the test. He puts us through trials in order to give us an opportunity to live our faith out in obedience to make us mature and complete. The test is not the works that we do but rather we're put through a test to see if our faith is true. And like I said, he does it even with Jesus. This is Hebrews chapter 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey in him. Let me read that last part again. He learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, became the source of eternal salvation. Jesus never sinned. Okay? That's not what this is talking about. But he could not be the fullness of everything he was meant to be until he endured the suffering that God had ordained for him, and he walked out that sinlessness and that perfect obedience through that suffering to become everything that he needed to be. To fulfill the role of sinless saviour, our substitute on the cross, he had to live a perfect life, and the only reason, the, the only way he was going to be able to do that completely was to be obedient through suffering. God puts his people to the test, even his perfect son, Jesus, to bring us to maturity and completion. And what this means is we have to recognize that this is normal. Okay, We need to recognize that this, when we face trials and tribulation, when we face testing, that our first response should not be immediately to assume The devil is against me, the world is against me, or that God is even punishing me. Because God puts us to the test. He puts us through trials for our good. Now, does that mean that it's not painful? No. I'm sure, even though we're not told about Abraham's internal state of mind, it was a painful and anguishing experience to ride three days to the mountain to sacrifice his son. We know That for Jesus, he got to the point where he was, the night before he was to be crucified, was crying out, Lord, if there's any other way. Trials and testing are hard and difficult and painful, but as Christians we should recognize they are normal and they are God's standard operating procedure for making us grow and bringing us to maturity and completion. So if you are living in some sort of hope to escape trials and testing in this world, or thinking that somehow that's what following Jesus means, that we get a free pass from suffering, that's not the gospel. We're promised that God will be with us, no matter what. But we're told that we're going to need to go through testing and trials. Specifically, God calls his people to sacrifice. He... 
he asks us to give up what we love. Again, we can sometimes get a sense of this, right? Where we feel like we have to, we're, we're losing something that we really care about, or we have to give up something that we really love, and we can think to ourselves, man, God cannot be in this. But this passage would cause us to think the very opposite. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son whom he loves. Again, again and again, we see God asking his people to do this, to make sacrifices to him. He asks for the sacrifice of their firstborn. He asks for the sacrifice of their first fruits. God asks from us our best to show our faithful obedience to him. And he does this as the God who is willing to do the exact same thing for us. So it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Not a coincidence that John uses those words there. It's designed to remind us about the sacrifice that God asked from Abraham. He gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How dare God ask me for my most precious thing? How could he do this? Well, he does this because he's willing to do the same thing himself. To give up what he loves most in order to save and rescue us in our complete, undeserving, sinful selves. God tests his people. God calls his people to sacrifice. And God sacrifices his children with the power to resurrect. Last point. God, in asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, wasn't just asking Abraham to sacrifice Abraham's son. God was also calling for the sacrifice of one of his own children. Isaac was the son of the promise. Isaac is in Abraham's promised line. Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with what was given to them as a sign that he was part of God's people. God's call to sacrifice Isaac was a call to sacrifice one of his own. And that call to God's people to sacrifice themselves is still one that we have now. Jesus says in Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He must pick up his instrument of death and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. God still asks for his people to be willing to sacrifice themselves to follow him. Now, this just seems insane to us. Because we live in a moment where, where everything around us is encouraging us to live differently. If I may, Phoebe, bring that word forward. Oh yes. Oh yes. There is such a thing as... Numo, n- yep, numo nultram microscopiskilovolcanoconiosis, which is the breathing in of incredibly fine particles of dust and quartz 
at such a level that you wouldn't even know that you're doing it. We live in a culture where the spirit of these times just gets into us without us even noticing. You are constantly hearing messages like, follow your heart. You have to be you. Follow what you want. Your happiness is the most important thing. Everything in our culture that we breathe in says to us, live for yourself, your dreams, what you want to do. Don't you dare give up your identity. Your identity is more important than anything else. How dare anyone try and change your identity? And what does God say to us? What does Jesus ask us to do? Pick up our instrument of death. Deny ourselves. Be willing to lay down what we want in order to follow him. And in doing this, we are saved. And we find our true selves. What does it say? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. We are truly saved. We truly become ourselves when we walk in the way that Christ has for us in faithful obedience to him. This is it. it. And as we do this, the promise that God gives to us, that as we are willing to lose our life, that he has the power to raise it up. The reason that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son is because he believed, without ever having heard of the resurrection power of God, that God had the power to raise his son from the dead. It says in Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would receive the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. There it is again. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham's entire logic with, why can I sacrifice that thing that is most precious to me, is because I trust that God has the power to raise the dead. Why can I be willing to sacrifice that which is most important to me? Why can you trust God to sacrifice what is most important to you, including your very hopes, hearts, dreams, desires? It's because God has the power to resurrect. And what that means is one of two things, and this is my last point. It means that either in laying down your dreams in this world and dying to them, God may figuratively rise them back up like he does with Isaac. There are some dreams that you have in your heart that right now you're doing for your own glory. And you need to lay them down because the pursuit of them is dishonoring to God because you're doing it for yourself and not for the Lord. But sometimes when we lay these dreams down, the Lord brings them back to us once he's a chance to mature us and complete us and bring us to a place where we can successfully carry out those dreams for him. That's the first one. Sometimes we need to lay something down and let it die before we can pick it back up again to do it for the Lord and not for ourselves. But the second one is this. There's some things that we need to give up that are going to stay in the ground. Because that they need to die. Sin brokenness, all sorts of different things. Some stuff needs to die. And it's really hard for us to give it up in the moment. But we can trust God to do that because we have this promise to him of eternal life, of new life with him. That whatever I give up in this world, the rewards of what he has for me in the next are so much greater. Some things I'm going to lay down, I'm going to get back and it's going to be better. Some things have to stay dead. But I can do that knowing that as I do that, the new things that Christ is going to raise up in me and the new life that I'm going to have in him 
is far better than anything I'll have in this world. So I'm going to pray now that we would be Christians who would live lives of faithful obedience to the Lord. That we would want the Lord to see our heart, that we truly do believe and trust in him, and that we would be willing to be put to the test, that we'd be willing to sacrifice what God calls us to, and that we'd even be willing to sacrifice ourselves to follow him. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that you have shown yourself faithful and good and true in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you have shown us that you do indeed have the power to raise the dead. And we thank you, Father, that through that we can have confidence to lay down whatever you call us to in this world. Whether it's our hopes, dreams and desires, whether it's our own plans and purposes for the future, whether it's relationships that are unhealthy, whether it's material goods, whatever it may be. Father, we pray that by your Spirit we would be willing to lay those things down. We ask, Father, we would answer your call to sacrifice for your glory. And we pray, Father, that as you put us to the test, that we would show ourselves faithful and walk in obedience before you, not so we can earn our way into your love, but rather, Lord, so that we can live out what you've called us to be, your faithful children in this world. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.